That's just stupid there, Jefferson. Besides, uh, getting elected, there's more to that than just being smart. This is a scene from the 1970s sitcom All in the Family. Archie Bunker is a white, working-class bigot, but a lovable one. He's sitting in his armchair, talking to his new neighbour, George Jefferson, who happens to be black. Then how come we don't have a black president? I mean, some of our black people are just as dumb as Nixon. (laughs) You ain't got a black president, Jefferson, because God ain't ready for that yet. Archie Bunker's son-in-law, a baby boomer, walks over. Wait a second. (laughs) What? That's right. God's got to try it out first by making a black pope, which he ain't done yet. Archie's daughter chimes in. Is that all you can talk about? Whether a black man or a white man should be president? Well, what do you want to talk about, little girl? How about a woman president? Oh, holy cow. (laughs) A woman president? Mr. Jefferson, this may come as a big surprise to you, but women are much more oppressed than blacks. I don't see no ghetto for women. What do you call a kitchen? (laughs) I call it a prison. All in the Family was remarkable for its time. Around Archie Bunker, the world was changing. Black people were moving into his street. Women were talking back to him. And every episode, Archie gave voice to his misgivings while being forced to accommodate the new reality. In this episode of Changemakers, we're going to Hollywood, looking at the role of art in making people think differently about the world. How do you challenge an audience, but do it in a way so they don't turn off? And what can changemakers learn from that? Let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemakers, the podcast telling stories about people changing the world. Supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. If you don't know Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's a sitcom set in the offices of a police station in Brooklyn, New York. It is one of my favourite television shows. It's definitely worth checking out. 20 years ago, mainstream network sitcoms were overwhelmingly white. The cast of Friends, for example, despite the characters living in New York, one of the most diverse cities on earth. Fast forward 20 years and things have changed. Brooklyn Nine-Nine's cast actually look like they come from Brooklyn. That's not an accident. Dan Gore, one of the show's creators, explains. Borough of Brooklyn is incredibly diverse and we really liked that when we were setting it up because we thought that would allow us to tell all sorts of different stories. And not just diverse with respect to ethnicity and race, but also class um, and education. So the show is designed with diversity in mind. Dan had worked with his co-creator, Michael Schur, on another sitcom, Parks and Recreation, whose cast was overwhelmingly white. Dan says there were selfish reasons for making Brooklyn Nine-Nine very different right from the start. As you go into your 100th episode, you're starved for material. So having lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds is selfishly a great thing for a storyteller. And then the other thing that it allowed us to do was to audition everybody and cast the best people. We didn't have to limit ourselves at any point in terms of whom we hired. So it wasn't tokenism. We've all seen tokenism on TV, where there's one Asian, 
one Latino, one black, and two whites. Oh, and perhaps someone who isn't straight. What we were trying to do was be progressive by not hitting these issues on the head, but by normalizing them, which is why we, for instance, have two Latina cops, neither of whom is sort of stereotypically Latina. We don't have like a spicy, so to speak, character. Um, They're just people who happen to be Latina. And in that same way, Captain Holt is gay, but his being gay isn't the joke. It's just a part of his backstory. And that was sort of the sort of most progressive aspect of the design of the show. If you think that was a small deal, reflect on this. It had never been done before. Even the actors being cast in the roles just assumed this was another network sitcom with the same unwritten rules about casting. Terry Crews plays Sergeant Terry Jeffords on the show. I mean, just the fact that we have two main Latina characters on our show is absolutely groundbreaking. That's right, because the conventional quota was one. But the creators wanted to cast both Melissa Fumero and Stephanie Beatrice, both of whom are Latina. Both Melissa and Stephanie will tell you they thought, oh my God, one of us has got to go because it's never been done before. So by breaking the unwritten rules of how to put together a network sitcom, Dan Gore and his co-creator Michael Schur created a universe that role-modelled how the world should be. And the characters weren't just diverse. They were goodies. The show was a utopia. Perfect for a network sitcom because it makes for easy watching. And from a change-making perspective, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is an extraordinary feat. Part of the aim of the original aim of the show is just showing uh, an office place, a workplace full of people who genuinely love each other, genuinely get along, who are genuinely good at their jobs, and who all come from very different places. That that in and of itself is is a statement of some kind, I think. So far, so good. But there was a problem. A creative problem with the way in which the show was designed. It's fine for a cop procedural where all your cops are one big happy family of diverse, enlightened people. But what happens when you want to confront head-on the idea that sometimes cops can be a tinsy bit racist? Terry Crews is currently playing a cop, but he spent his whole life being African-American. Unfortunately, this means he has a deep well of personal experience of the racism of American police. And it's back when I was a football player and I had to buy a ticket in cash to, in order to make the flight. And uh, I went, I was going from Kalamazoo, Michigan to Chicago. And in Chicago, I got pulled off the plane by police officers and uh, whom, you know, and I didn't understand. It was in front of everyone. I was totally embarrassed and, um, you know, I, I felt like a criminal. But they didn't tell me what I did, and then, and then I, they found out that I was a professional football player, and then they were like, oh, this is great, can we get an autograph? And everything just switched, and I found out later that they thought I was a drug dealer because simply because I bought my ticket in cash. This is just some of the experiences that, you know, normal, you know, you would think in America you should be able to 
buy a ticket in cash. You should be able to walk around. You should be able to have tinted windows if you want. You know, it's just all these little things that that most Americans take for granted. That as an African American, you 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 looked at as a suspect, and and it's just not right. It it, it just isn't. And that's just the casual racism that every person of colour in America deals with on a daily basis. Now imagine being in the script room and trying to come up with a plot line about that sort of racism when all the cops in your show are goodies. It'd be hard, right? Dan Gore says it was a real conundrum. If we were a show that was not about cops, then doing an episode like this, we could have one of our characters be a victim, which I obviously is what we ended up doing, or they could sit on the sidelines and talk about an incident, which is what a lot of shows end up doing. But it was very hard because in a lot of the initial breakings of the story, you want your characters to be involved, but at the same time, as you just said, our guys are not the bad guys. They're not people who would do this. Furthermore, our guys are so, so much the good guys it's hard to even do a story where somebody else has done it or it's been done to one of our characters and our guys have an attitude that would present conflict. If that weren't difficult enough, the writers of the show didn't just want to make an episode about casual racism in the police. They wanted to take on the larger systemic issue that police kill black people in far higher proportion than every other race. Black people make up just 13% of the population, yet account for 31% of all people killed by police. The figures are even more disproportionate when the victim killed by a cop is unarmed. It's an issue that has been brought to light through the Black Lives Matter movement, but has yet to permeate its way into breezy network sitcoms. Phil Jackson was the main writer assigned to this episode. I'm an African-American man in the United States of America, so that, you know, it, just by virtue of that, it, it, it was um, a topic that I thought would be fantastic if we could find a way to um, put together an episode that uh, spoke to the issue, uh, got to the complexities of it, and, um, you know, also in the process brought some laughs along the way just to kind of provide some relief to the gravity of the topic that we were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost in contrast to, I mean, people are being shot in the United States. It's incredibly depressing and serious. Um, And the, the level of racism and sort of white supremacy is only escalating. How did you think that you were going to be able to turn that into something that could be funny? This is uh, a topic with so much uh, complexity, so much gravity, uh, so much pain to it. Um, how do we present it in a way that makes it uh, and lets it be known that we're not making light of the issue, um, that kind of um, honors the, the, the depth of the topic while also still staying within the voice of the show uh, and providing, providing some laughs because at the end of the day it is, it is a comedy show. So... Like they do with any episode, they started brainstorming. The brainstorm was ways to talk about violent racism on a breezy comedy. What were some of the ideas you rejected? I mean, (laughs) there was one idea that got pretty far along, and it was um, Holt and Terry and Jake are going to uh, Jake's alma mater, and um, it, it ends up 
that they're talking to a class that has a large concentration of African-American students, and then the conversation just starts to get real, and then Terry and Holt are kind of differing in their perspectives on how to talk about um, the the issue, Um, and then we kind of had, like, Jake in the mix to uh, provide some comedic relief, Um, and you know, that, that one got pretty far along of the many that we talked about. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think even that version of uh, taking on the topic in the story, literally, it's a school, so it kind of started to feel like an after-school special, you know? What's an after-school special? When I think of an after-school special, I'm 33 years old. I think of the 90s, and literally, you get home, you watch TV, and there's a, it's like a quote-unquote very special episode that deals with drugs or deals with harassment or deals with something uh, topical from like a sociological standpoint. The first breakthrough came when they realised that the main character in the show, Jake, played by Andy Samberg, who usually had the main plotline, shouldn't have this plotline. It also felt like um, while we could craft a story where um, you know, Jake is in the main story or at the center of the conflict. This really, uh, after breaking an episode like that, kind of partway through, felt like this episode is best served if we just keep it between our African-American characters. In some ways, this decision was in keeping with the new way they'd designed the show. They'd broken the rules on how it was cast, and they were going to break the rules about having a main character in the main plotline. It unleashed the episode. Instead, they decided, the main conflict would be between the two African-American actors in the show. Terry Jeffords, played by Terry Crews, and Captain Raymond Holt, played by Andre Brow. Once we realised that we wanted it to be between Holt and Terry, uh, it kind of made things a little bit easier. So then it was like, okay, well, it it might be interesting if um, Terry has to deal with um, the the complexities of being not only a black man but a police officer and this idea of are you black or are you blue and, and, and what that means for him. That started to feel like, oh, that's an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So they took Terry Crews' real-life run-ins with cops and decided to base a story around that with all the tensions of him being both a black man and a cop. But there was a problem. They couldn't work out where the conflict between the characters would come from. Conflict is what drives a story, and yet every single character in the main cast... Everyone was immediately, as you saw, on Terry's side. The result was they had no idea how to create an episode that worked. So we really stalled out in the writing of the story. So they knew they wanted Terry to be threatened by a racist cop, but because everyone around him would immediately take his side... It was hard to see how to get an episode that wasn't just a whole lot of people agreeing with each other about how terrible that was. Hardly scintillating viewing. After we come back, how the writers managed to salvage the episode. Building power to change the world is a dynamic process, which means it's always helpful to discuss your strategies and refine them. Pick apart what's going right and reflect on how you could be more effective. That's why we've set up the Changemakers Masterclasses. They're small seminars with a maximum of 50 people, presented by me, Amanda Tattersall. We spend a whole day taking a deep dive into one aspect of changemaking. In the first season, we're looking at power, how to build it and wield it, 
as well as examining the best and worst practices from around the world. We're holding the first ones in Australia in February 2019 in association with Sydney University's Policy Lab. And then we're heading to Melbourne and several cities in the US and the United Kingdom later in the year. So check out the schedule at changemakerspodcast.org slash masterclasses and sign up today. Maximise your impact with Changemakers Masterclasses. Are you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Nowadays, everyone has a platform. Today, we're talking about the creative challenges of being a changemaker when you've got a creative platform to speak from. Dan Gore and Phil Jackson found themselves with a platform. It wasn't a Twitter feed or an Instagram following. It was a network sitcom, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But when thinking of how to talk to your audience, in some ways, the same principles apply. Whether you've got a network sitcom, a blog, or a YouTube channel, or even your own personal Twitter feed, the creative challenges are the same. How to tackle an issue while staying true to what you are. For Dan Gore, the problem he faced was finding conflict in their plotline. He knew they wanted an antagonist, a racist cop from another precinct, a minor character brought in just for the episode. And they knew the antagonist was going to bail up Terry, one of their African-American characters, at gunpoint, when he's off duty and out of uniform. The problem was that to stay true to the way Brooklyn Nine-Nine operates, the story had to come from conflict arising between the main characters. Yet all the main characters would be on Terry's side. Or so Dan thought. Dan says the breakthrough moment came one day when he was talking to Andre Brower, who plays Captain Holt. Terry's African-American boss. And then I brought Andre Brower in and I was telling him about the episode and I said, and then we get to this point where Terry goes to you and says, I'd like to file a complaint. Of course, you say, you, I have your back. And then I said, I, and I don't know where we go from there because at that point, there's nothing left to do. But rather than sharing Dan's concern, there was no conflict there. Andre had a different perspective about how his character would react to Terry's complaint. And he said, but I don't think Captain Holt would have his back. And I was like, what? And, he's, and then he gave a very uh, intelligent, cogent argument for why he thinks or thought that Captain Holt wouldn't want Terry to submit that complaint. And um, almost everything he said ended up in, in the episode. Sorry. Did Dan Gore just do Captain Holt then? But I don't think Captain Holt would have his back. That was very special. Anyway, Andre Brown's suggestion was that Captain Holt would think filing a complaint would be a fool's errand. That when you're a black man in the police force, you always have to be picking your fights. And Terry would make a lot of enemies by filing a complaint against a fellow cop. Captain Holt's point was there's a bigger mission here. And sometimes you have to lose the battle, basically, to win the war. And Terry, in the end, is saying, I don't want to lose the battle. If we lose the battle, we lose the war. And then Holt comes around to his point of view. The episode's writer says as soon as Andre suggested that as the fulcrum of where the conflict lay, everything started falling into place. Once we realised that we wanted it to be between Holt and Terry, uh, it kind of made things a little bit easier. Suddenly, the plotline unfolded easily. So Holt saying, oh, you know what, I think that you should 
think about the broader picture, you'll be able to impact change if you don't necessarily report this guy. And also there could be uh, negative uh, ramifications for your actions if you uh, act against this one man in this one circumstance. Whereas Terry is saying, well, I'm thinking about right now. I, 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 I um, experience injustice right now, and I want to do something about it right now with the person who did it to me in this particular moment. So it's, it's, it, was, uh, it was that balancing act of ha- keeping them on the same page and the same, almost in violent agreement as far as the injustice that occurred, but um, giving them a different point of view on how to um, kind of uh, react and act given the situation at hand. And that's, that's kind of what broke the episode open and how we landed on the idea. Have you, have you been harassed? I mean, uh, yeah, but you know, <laughs> that's, it's, you know, um, it's just one of those, it's just one of those things, you know, that, um, that happens, you know? But, you know, I don't, I think a lot of people don't know that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. You know, um, like race in America is a, is a very real thing. Um, and I, I will say like writing this episode, I don't know. It's interesting. Your question was how much of myself is in there. I, I, I would say it's, it's like 0% and a hundred percent, you know, like I'm not Terry Crews and I'm not Andre Brower, but at the same time, I 100% was so excited and so passionate about writing this episode, just given the topic that it is and having, um, you know, uh, relatable experiences, just, just, you know, growing up in, in America. So they make the show. And Phil Jackson says there was almost immediately a feeling within the cast and crew that they were making something very special. I had a crew member talk to me and tell me that it was her favorite episode that Brooklyn has done, which I was like, oh, that's that's fantastic. I'm I think everyone um, worked really hard on it and we we came up with it together. And so I I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it turned out well, you know, and as a result, you know, the crew was excited that we were taking on this topic, but also doing it in a way that kind of was a bit savvy, but uh, simple enough uh, and provocative enough for people to still kind of watch and think, but also uh, at the end of the day, enjoy too. In fact, the network decides to put it on during the sweeps, the highest rating period of the year, when all the shows are putting on their best episodes. If you want to watch it, it was called Moo Moo, and it's in season four. It's an all-new Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I didn't do anything. That's not afraid to get real. Why was Daddy in trouble with the policeman? Is it because he's black? Uh... It gains a small but significant amount of press. The New Yorker takes note. Reddit starts a subreddit about the episode. And the reason it worked? Dan Gore has a theory. I think the biggest thing that I learned in making this episode was that in order to tackle issues, any issue, you have to do it in a way that is really true to your, to your show. We've talked a little bit about the design of the show. You designed the show back in 2012. If you, were, if you could rush back there in a time machine, what would you do, or, or actually, what would you do differently if you were designing it now? That's such a good question. It's, hard, it's a hard question. I feel like I can answer almost like a parallel question to that. Because I'm so ha- I love the show, and I love watching the show, and I love our actors. The hardest thing about it is that, they're, is that they all get along. There is no Archie Bunker in All in the Family in our show. And I think an alternate version of our show would have had, would have had a person in a position of authority who never became their friend, and potentially 
who was a little bit backwards or a lot backwards when it came to social issues so that there was room so there would be room for argument and discussion in other words if you had like a and I'm and I actually I think I prefer the version of the show that we have now but an alternate version of it would be that you have a white cop like a white uh male cop who's the captain and who is a little bit sexist and a little bit homophobic and a little bit racist and sort of represents a vision of what the police were or may still be that is not as progressive as as the rest of our cops and our cops are constantly butting heads with him. That would be, that would be an alternate version of the show, which would also be interesting and would be a very different show. But episodes like Moo Moo would probably be a lot easier to, to write because you would have your antagonist in house already. Bill Jackson has a different perspective. The conversations were necessary conversations, the breaking of episodes and then throwing them away all led us to a point where we found the right story. So I, I think I would I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. He remains immensely proud of the episode they ended up making. I think the role of art is to be provocative and, and take on issues and you know, it's 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 a network ensemble comedy, so it you know, is is it the edgiest episode of T V that you'll ever see? No. But I also don't think writing the, epi- the edgiest episode of TV would have been the right move for uh, the tools that we had and the characters that we have on this show. Did you learn about how it's possible to make change in the world in this medium, in this space? Maybe somebody will see that and have a hard conversation with somebody who's not been speaking the right way. So I, I think the thing that I learned is that um, everyone can do like just you know a little bit to help push the country forward, push the world forward in the right direction, and it doesn't have to be one fail swoop. In fact, it probably never happens that way. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all our episodes and catch up on Series 1. Changemakers is produced by me. Yep, I'm super busy. Written by Charles Firth, Amanda Tattersall and Amy Farrell. Our audio producer is Jules Wooker. Our sponsoring organisations are Sydney University Policy Lab, who we could not do this without, as well as Uniting, The Sunrise Project, Australians for Marriage Equality, and the Organising Cities Project, funded by the Halloran Trust, based at the University of Sydney. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast, and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. 